Thank you for all those who uh, shared during the testimony. You kind of gave the sermon, which is cool. Giving a testimony to what God has for us and what he wants for us. Most of us, um, I think, you know, your life goes in stages and there's... Um, you grow and you get thirsty and then you get to a certain place and then you level out and then you carry on for a long time. And It's amazing how many lies we can actually absorb. And you just take one word and quote a scripture and change one word or one nuance and you get a lie. It's really easy to become deceived. It's really easy to lose out on all that God has for us because... Uh, we tend to disqualify ourselves. And what I'm talking about this morning is basically what Paul's in Ephesians 2. We are in a battle. And I'm going to end with that as well. We are in a battle, whether we like it or not. Um, it's, 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 just, it's, not, it's not been up to us. The battle is bigger than us. It's between good and evil. It's between God and, and the uh, powers of darkness. And we can deny them. But, you know... You can deny things you don't see or understand and it doesn't bring you life. You can deny gravity, you can't see it and you walk up a building and you'll, you'll experience it. You go, well, I, you know, I, I didn't feel anything. And you go, well, it's not about you. It's listening to someone this week and they said the smallest universe is the one where you are at the center. And one of the things, uh, one of the ways you come to freedom in God is when you actually stop being the center where it doesn't all sit upon what I see and understand but actually it comes from a place that usually God actually releases hunger or discontent because that's how he leads us forward. So I want to pray for God's spirit to, to work in power with us uh, this morning that we would really um, maybe see more clearly some things that maybe we lost sight of or we never knew. Um, you know, when Paul was writing from prison to the Ephesians and most of the letters he wrote um, we're from prison. We're, the, we're not from a place. I always say this when I think of Paul because if anybody exemplifies what it means to know joy in the midst of suffering, it's Paul on a sustained basis for a long time. In, in our culture where we think the favor of God is a Mercedes or a holiday, and it might be, but it's usually not, the favor of God is peace and joy in the midst of life. See, the things of God have to be accessible to everyone. They have to be accessible to the rich and the poor, the educated, the non-educated, the privileged and the underprivileged. So the kingdom of God, everything about the kingdom of God is accessible to everyone. And so the source of everything that is good for a human being is found in God's spirit, which is a mystery that flows in us and then through us and then out of us. And the counterfeit in life is that if, if you're poor or if you're rich, if you're educated, you're not educated, you are the ones who have access. But all you have access to is the counterfeit. So Dana, the, the bear only got hold of your garbage. That's all he can access. So he's powerless. Paul talks about Ephesians, Ephesians uh, the kingdom of the air, the prince of the air. Satan is the prince of the air, big deal. So what's it like to be king of nothing? And the only thing he can access is the garbage and he can access the physical, but he has zero power unless it's given to him. And Paul wrote these letters out of, you know, in, 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 in suffering and in chains, in prison, not knowing what lay ahead, having invested an enormous amount, in fact his whole life, to follow Jesus and to know Jesus. 
And the reward he got was suffering and hardship and flogging and shipwrecks. But because he had tasted something that was so precious, he said, you know, when I look at my education, I look at my pedigree, my background, my wealth, or whatever it is, it is, is as nothing. And I think the Greek clo- comes close to saying it is dung, it is crap. Because the essence of what I found in Jesus means that there's nothing else that I want to spend my life doing. So beat me if you will. Because after I've seen Jesus, nothing on earth satisfies me. It just, everything we pursue on earth under the kingdom of the air is to gratify the cry of our flesh, which is the physical tasting, sensing things. That's what we grow up with. That's how we start. Until we learn that everything we pursue trying to gratify the flesh, which is the body or the people around us, it never satisfies. We all know that. We've got testimonies galore on that. I'd hoped that when I left Cape Town and came to Canada, I'd be happy. I'd feel free. Well, it was for a few months. And you keep on setting these things. If I was, when I was, when I was, if this happens, and and it goes on, doesn't it? Forever. Until we come to the understanding that that is not where joy in life is. Some people never come to that understanding. They just remain angry. And so Paul when he writes to the Ephesians, he's already, he had no, another thing, I'm just going to knock off the pedestal. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about your legacy and, you know, what kind of legacy are you leaving? I think it's actually a rubbish, uh, rubbish uh, message. It's the kind of message from a self-centered people who are continually worried about it. And I'll tell you why. I'm not, I'm just playing with you now. You know why it's rubbish? It's because it's too self-absorbed. Like, get off yourself and don't worry about your legacy because your legacy will be whatever it will be. Follow Jesus now, serve other people, and your legacy will be cool. And I say that because as I was reading this and I was thinking about Ephesians and Paul writing to Ephesians and he's in chains and he's writing, and then he writes, I mean, look, look at all these. He writes to the Romans, he writes to the Corinthians, he writes to the Ephesians, he writes to the Philippians, he writes to the Thessalonians, the Galatians, Timothy and Titus and a note to a guy called Philemon about a freed slave called Onesimus. And he had absolutely no idea that when he was writing in these chains where he could have said, God, I followed you and all I'm doing is suffering. So my letters would be, hi, this is Paul. I wish I was you right now. I'm stuck here near a Roman God. He stinks. He hasn't washed for a few days. He keeps beating me and I'm feeling pretty miserable. Of course, he doesn't write that. He says, I'm so cool. I'm locked up here with this Roman God and he's got to listen to me. And I've actually had a prophetic word that I'm going to Rome and I'm going to die. Which is cool with me. Because if you're not afraid to die, you can live with freedom. And Paul had no idea that his attitude and what was being poured out through him through these letters was going to be the foundation of Christianity in the whole world for the rest of time that his letters were going to be the, the kind of scripture that he had got to know in the Old Testament. He was actually writing half of the New Testament. He had absolutely no idea. That was his legacy. And if God had said, Paul, I'm going to give you a legacy. You're going to write some Romans. You're going to write some uh, story uh, letters. I want you to write it to these churches. And by the way, you better get them right because they're going to be scripture. The way God works in life is the less aware you are of 
what's going on sometimes, the better. The less you try and figure it out and maneuver yourself, the better. Just do what you do. Pay attention to those around you and then keep saying, Jesus, where are you here? And believe me, your legacy will be superb. So be encouraged. You never know. You never know. God loves humility. He loves hiddenness. He loves it when people aren't posturing because they want to look good so they can have a legacy. The legacy won't be what they want. It'll be, I'm so glad they're dead. <laughs> Phew, now we don't have to deal with them. But Jesus, thank you that your love is in heaven. All right. So Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It is, it is such... I w- you know, I, w- I, w- I used to listen to these things taught and they were always taught in an intellectual way. They, they grabbed me intellectually, but I didn't hear the words that brought life. I didn't understand it. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you li- used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Do you know what you're capable of in your darkest time? Do you know who you are in your darkest? The Lamb Conference said nothing hidden. If each of us had to come up, everything was exposed. It's not a threat. It's just if we don't know who we are without Jesus, we won't know who we are with him. If you don't need a savior, you'll know Jesus as a religious figure, but you won't know him as the one who gave you life. And Paul, the reason Paul could be imprisoned, the reason that he could be chained, the reason that he could write exquisite truths about who God is from a place of emptiness and brokenness and suffering in his physical environment was because he knew this. Paul never hid the fact that he was capable of killing people because he was passionately religious but totally wrong. You were dead in your transgressions. I've talked a lot about this in the past. I'm going to remind us of it. The in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament when the people of Hebrew, the Hebrew people, they weren't even a people, were slaves in Egypt. It was like they were dead. They were prisoners to Pharaoh. They were dead. They couldn't decide when they're getting up, when they're going to bed. They couldn't decide what they were going to do. They were slaves. And God sent Moses into Egypt like Jesus onto the earth to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, why on earth would I let them go? They're serving me. They're building stuff that I like. And he said, I am telling you to let them go. And he said, of course I'm not going to let them go. As Satan said to Jesus, I have power on this earth. If you just bow to me, you can have power. You can have stature. And my promises have given lots of people a beautiful life on earth. Where they go after that is another question. I didn't tell them about that. When God created Eden, Eden was on earth. He placed Adam and Eve into Eden. He said, now I want you to subdue the earth. 
What he was doing was saying, I want you to be my friends and my children, and we're going to take back this universe, this domain that evil has now taken over. When Satan fell, he fell to earth. His wings were clipped. There's nothing like a sore loser. There's nothing like somebody who's lost something they can't regain. They live life bitter and angry, full of vengeance. The hallmark of Satan is seen in the fruit of that in, in lives. Anger, vengeance, bitterness. And God said to Adam and Eve, uh, you can live in this land and you can name all the, name all the, all the, uh, the animals and I give you authority of this whole world. And of course the serpent is there and he says, don't eat of this one tree. And as is always the case, if you have one rule, that's the one I want to break. And so they're trotting around. You've heard this many times. I'll just remind you again. If God gives you the choice because you have to have freedom. And so Satan comes into that one place that you're not allowed and he says, God didn't really mean that. You're not going to die. He's scared that you're actually going to be like him. And what appeals to human beings so much is you can have power and stature. Somebody's trying to cramp your style. Somebody's trying to keep something from you. So you need to go after it. And when they bit of that fruit, what happened in them they couldn't describe because it was guilt, it was shame. It was a revelation of separation that they hadn't got anything to work with. They didn't know what to do with it. All they knew was what happened when they ate that fruit and disobedience entered them. When God was coming to move in, walk into that garden, whereas before they had longed to see him, now they were terrified. And so they hid. And so the first question in the Bible is, where are you? And from that moment, what happened when they ate of that fruit? The keys of the authority on earth was given to Satan. They were playing at a level way beyond their ability to understand. We don't see the consequences of many, many things in life. And God comes to try and parent us and guide us and, and give us wisdom. And we go, oh, I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'll do it. And he says, you have no idea what you're unfolding. And many of us who are older could give lots of illustrations of what it was like when we went our own way or try to take a shortcut. And eventually wisdom starts telling you, slow down. Get counsel from other people. Watch what you're about. That's why we need one another. And when Jesus came into the world, it was like he parachuted back into Eden. And guess how he came? We've said this before. He, became, he came as a sperm in a womb. And why do I say this all the time? Because I also think one of our big problems right now is we're asking God's kingdom to come. And I've been talking about this. And his kingdom comes. It comes in the form of a seed. And we're too quick to want the kingdom in all its glory and fruitfulness. And he says, the seed doesn't become a fruit-bearing tree unless it's been nurtured and takes time. And I want to encourage each of us, be patient. Be faithful for what you already have and see what happens. Because God was actually sent, you see, he sent his son, born in a woman. 30 years later, he says, now unleash your ministry, empowered by the Spirit. It's not what I would do. 
I would make it far more grand than that. And I'd want to publicly humiliate Satan. Leave no doubt about it. But he doesn't. He just demonstrates power. Another way of living on earth from heaven. When the spirit is alive in you, you become a new person. And what Satan does is, if you know who you are, you're going to beat me. So I'm going to continually challenge you about your identity and your worthiness. As Diana just so powerfully described in her struggle. It's all lies. But because it's so normal for us, it feels so deserved, we often go, we agree with it. Because there is evidence. There's lots of evidence why we're not worthy. And all we go, isn't it good for Jesus? I'm so glad Jesus is better than I am. I'm so glad he came because I needed the Savior. So all the evidence you bring to me, I go, I I know, isn't it? It's terrible, isn't it? But I've got a Savior in Jesus, so it's, it's, you know, the bear can eat the garbage. Our identity is not in our past. Our identity is in our future. Our identity is not where we've been. We're formed by that, but we're not imprisoned by that. Slaves are imprisoned by their past and their present. People who are set free are set free into a future. But our battle is we have a slave mentality that it's so hard for us to let go of. That's why we need one another. And Paul is writing these truths in almost all of his letters. Because what Jesus did was he restored us into the relationship that, he, that Adam and Eve first had before sa- Satan came into that garden. And so God actually says, once you have known Jesus has taken your sin, the penalty of rebellion, one man caused people to sin, one man restored them. The second Adam. So he said, now we can have this relationship on earth as in heaven that you lost. And by the way, here the keys are. You go, well, how do you, he had the keys, serpent. He said, no, I took them when I died on the cross. I actually killed him. I, I killed his authority base on earth. You have the keys back. It says so in Revelation 1. I'll read you a quote from somebody I read. Jesus died and is now alive and he has taken Satan's keys. Revelation 1.18. Keys are the symbol of authority. So if Satan has no keys, that means he has no authority. So you and I become the seeds of the field in which God's seeds want to grow, but he wants to use us to actually roll back all the darkness and all the negativity and all the hopelessness and say, you have enormous power within you. I wonder how many of us are sitting here this morning with situations around us that are overwhelming us. And we're asking God to change it, and and he will, but he'll take us through it. He won't just take it out out of it. Graham Cook often talks about that. We're often praying for God to change something that he's taken a lot of time letting us go into because he's teaching us stuff through the stuff that's negative. So the the prayer to pray is God, help me know you right here, right now. And to not be defeated by what's going on around me. To actually stand up and begin to declare that you are Jesus, the Lord of Lords, in the midst of this. When I was going through, coming out of my brokenness, God just said, mow the lawn, do something every day, I will fix you while you fix your house. That was two years. I know of which I speak somewhat. Somebody else said, it was actually Brian Johnson in the talk I heard, which, which he said, you know, um, 
God's kingdom comes with a seed, but it's nurtured with perspiration. No, it comes with inspiration, but nurtured with perspiration. So God gives us many things. Many of us have things that are seed-like within us, and they don't grow because we don't realize it takes an effort to nurture them, which is a bit like the Kiwi thing uh, Rosie was talking about, which is investing. Many of us are just lazy, and we like spoiled brats, and so we don't see things happen because we don't pay attention to them. I was weed, uh, weed eating a, a year ago. We have this, I have this orchid. It's beautiful. It grows in the once a year. And of course, I weed eat the darn thing before it grew. So I said, God, 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 that's not fair. There's an accident. And of course, I didn't. I kind of go, oh, that was stupid. And I have to wait another whole year for it to grow. And sometimes our foolishness causes things to get stunted. And you can cry as much as you like, but you might have to wait for another season. And Satan takes those events and then speaks to you about how God doesn't love you. And you get angry with God and God must go, for God's sake, what's your problem? You weed whack the thing out and it grows next year, so deal with it. And there are lots of things in our lives that are going on like that. You chose to go this way. I gave you three people to warn you. Let me show that video, please. So that's a little over the top. (laughs) But if you listen to your thought life, how many times have we discounted all kinds of people around us as part of God's purpose for us because they don't fit our prescription of what was happening in our lives? What's the hallmark of the kingdom of the air? What's the ho- if we? What do you think the hallmark of the kingdom of the air is? Of the prince of the air. What's the hallmark of of of, of slavery? Deception. What else? That's not a. Ret- I'm now opening it up for. Accusation. Manipulation. You know a lot about this, Alison. <laughs> Somebody else. Denial, sorry, manipulation, intimidation, control, judgmental, justification, self-justification, pride. We kind of know this well, don't we? Negative thinking, self-condemnation, no no hope, despair, irritation, bitterness, anger, blame. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Where Jesus is present, those things don't have dominance. So that kind of encounter is within the Christian church. And the biggest battles are within the church. People who don't know Jesus, it's actually quite easy to deal with them. You give them lots of license, but there's just a humility that should be there anyway. I hate the us and them thing anyway. I I like the thing of saying they haven't yet found him or they haven't yet met him. They're still his kids. He just they just don't know. But whenever we place ourselves in a situation where we are privileged because of the fact that Jesus has saved us when we didn't deserve it, we've just missed the boat. Because if you've been saved by grace, you don't have anything to boast about except how you screwed up. I mean, you don't deserve anything. As Paul said in the beginning, you were dead. 
I found that a revelation when I first read it. Because it, it took everything off me. I mean, a corpse can't do anything for itself. So if everything I did ended like me being a corpse, and God said, I want to bring life to that corpse, and it says a lot more about God. But he said, I don't want you dead, John. Rise up. And everything from that moment is grace. He raises us up so that we can be sons and daughters of the king. When we were dead in our transgressions, that's where the slave stays. And so Paul was living out this life in a paradox. The more he was actually being enslaved in prison, the more freedom he actually showed. How many of you are putting off your freedom until some circumstance or relationship is sorted out? How many of you are living under the lie of the fantasy that when that is dealt with, then you're going to be happy? How's it working for you? It will never, ever come true. Because it's a lie. The truth is, God says, I'm here for you. Be joyful. I can't be joyful because of, he says, why are you living like a slave? And why are you attributing blame to me for the circumstances you're in. If you knew me, you would know that I don't do that kind of thing to people I love. And I actually adore you. My son came to take rid of all the blame that is on you so that you could take hold of all the grace that was upon him. He came to show you how I treat my son and he came to release to you that same inheritance on earth as in heaven. So I'd like you to get up and step into the identity of a much-loved son and a much-loved daughter. And you no longer have to be enslaved. So your assignment is how do I live in freedom? How do I live in a place of grace where I don't have to earn anything, I just have to step into it? You say that's way too easy. Well, if it was so easy, we'd all be doing it. I counseled someone once. I said, go home for a week and pamper yourself. And they came back each week for a month and said, I can't do it. You remember Donna, some of you, drug addict? She, killed, she died of overdoses. She got everything she thought she wanted, but she didn't know how to handle it. It's terrib terribly, terribly sad. And many of us, if not all of us, are in that grade somewhere. The Egypt and the promised land, they overlap. It's always like that. The kingdom of heaven is here and the prince of darkness. They live in the same place. They're just different territories in a sense. Do you know what I mean? It's this, if you could do a picture of them coming out of Egypt, if this stage here is, is them coming out of Egypt, this is their journey into the promised land. They come to the promised land. Well, if, if you could, it would almost like saying this was the promised land and he, st he points them right back to Egypt and says, now go and take it. Cross the Jordan, go back where you came from, but now go in as victors. Go in and reclaim it. That's what, that's what life is about. Taking what has been stolen from a new identity as sons and daughters of the king with enormous authority. You've got kings, you've got authority and keys to unlock it, so now go and do it. 
what Joshua did. The part that you you can't avoid is risk and faith, which is the same thing. So let me kind of spend five minutes on what is it like to live out of a place of inheritance in the kingdom on earth as in heaven? What is Paul saying? Because he says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us within the, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That means that you and I are now, as we have said yes to Jesus, we, we are heirs of the King of Kings. So if I walked in as Bill Gates and said, I have resources for you, just because of my identity, or if one of my children was, you know, they were the sons of Bill Gates and they walked in, you would automatically attribute all that Bill Gates had to that child. That boy, that king's, that, that boy's lucky. You know who his father is? And when you walk around the earth in the spirit realm and you know who you are, you actually carry with you power and authority. And, and the world around you will begin to change because you step into the authority. I have authority in the name of Jesus to break this illness. What Satan does is he says, you're not an expert, you haven't gone to Bethel and you haven't got a five, five degrees yet, so you can't possibly be eff effective. And he disqualifies you. And so you have a lot of disqualified people who don't think they carry anything other than inferiority and they say, well, Jesus is still working on me and you're absolutely powerless. And so he doesn't worry with you because he's already got you. Once you begin to say, I am defined by who Jesus is and what he has done in my life, I'm not just sitting here saying, it's, my name is John and it's been five years since I had a drink. I'm saying, my name is John and Jesus has saved me and I am actually on a journey I'm going to make the rest of my life count because he lives in me and I have power in me and I'm going to speak over you. I speak healing over you in the name of Jesus. You can't have a child. This is the, my speciality is if you can't have a child, Jesus bless you and you will have a child. How can you do that? Because I am a, I, I've been told I can ask for anything. And what God wants to do is good things in, in broken people. So he's just said, John, I need your mouth because they won't hear me. And I, I just need a pair of hands. For God's sake, give me your hands. My hands aren't good enough. Just give me some hands. And Satan says, oh, your hands are, they, they're dirty. Your hands are this. And we spend all our time walking around looking at my hands. Oh, God, make them clean. And he says, I've already given you new hands. There's a spirit of inferiority and inadequacy. I break it now in the name of Jesus over everyone here. Just enough lies. Enough lies. Enough lies. Everything negative in your life has not been brought to you by God. And why you have some negativities that are hard and painful and broken in you, I don't know. But I do know that when we sit with Jesus and we talk about our lives, it will make sense and we will all be in tears and we go, I thought it was you. I'm sorry. Because a loving father doesn't do that stuff. A loving father says, where does it hurt? Let me help you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm a good father. I'm kind. And I care about you. And I care about where you are right now. And it grieves me that you want to be estranged from me because this is hurting me. You're blaming me for it. That's what Paul was talking about. 
five things. Identity as a son or daughter of the king is number one. Identity. As we heard in the testimonies, you're a son or daughter of the living God and he thinks you're really special. The challenge from the darkness is you're an orphan and you don't matter. So every time the orphan raises his head, hit him on the head with the cross of Jesus and say, it's a lie. I am a much loved son and daughter and he adores me and I'm not afraid of you anymore. So go to hell. Intimacy with Jesus. You are his friend. You are much loved. You are safe in his hands. I no longer call you a servant. You're not a slave to Jesus. You're not trying to earn his acceptance. You're not trying to score brownie points because today I sinned and so he doesn't love me as much as he did yesterday when I was obedient for 24 hours. You can play all those kind of songs in your head, can't you? I don't deserve it today. I can't stand up and speak because I did something yesterday that I'm ashamed of and so that negates it. I've got to earn my way back to acceptance and when I feel good a week later, I go, oh, now I can maybe do something. And God says, you have no idea about grace. You didn't need a savior because I thought you could perform. You needed a savior because you needed a savior. And you're my child when you sin and when you don't sin. But we're going to get better. So live out of that place, the truth that I love you with a passion. And I give grace. And then we work out boundaries and all that stuff. But uh, offense kills you and poisons you and it it belongs with Satan. Identity, intimacy with Jesus. He's your friend. He loves you. I mean, there's nobody who's going to be more faithful to you. Confidence in his word. You've got to spend time reading his word so you know what he thinks rather than just think what you think he thinks. So a lot of people live like that. I think I think that, oh, I heard this song and so I believe that. And you give songs the, 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 the authority of scripture. Don't. Read the scriptures and meet with other people and get to know them. Why? Because promises declare God's purpose and character and we can trust that we need a truth outside of ourselves to hold us. In the kingdom of darkness, don't believe anything, don't trust anyone and it won't make any difference anyway and then you will stay stuck. You have power and authority is the fourth one. The kingdom of God, citizens of God's kingdom are meant to walk with power and authority. And we're all learning. We're all in a learning phase of that. And sometimes we're powerful and sometimes it's like, oh my word, I thought I was and now look at me. And at that point I need a brother or sister to help me. Somebody said this, again, the Christian life is all about overcoming. Overcoming implies gaining mastery over something, be it poverty, depression, bad relationship, perverse tendencies, drug addiction or something else. These problems were issued to each of us one way or another by the demonic kingdom. The Lord said once to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You have power and you have authority. You're no longer slaves. And finally, in the, in the kingdom of heaven that Paul is talking about, he says um, what we need community. He's writing letters to people because he cares about them. He's writing letters to people because they're supporting him. We need one another. So he says, you're not only raised up in heavenly places and you're not only saved by grace, but we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. My brothers and sisters, I'm ending with this. And that is simply, you're either a slave 
or you're a son or daughter. And your identity and your sense of community and your sense of purpose and intimacy with Jesus determine who you are. And if you have met Jesus, he said to you, I've set you free from slavery, so why are you living like a slave? There is, that is our response to what God has done. And he has come that we might know freedom. We're all in this battlefield, but how we're in this battlefield makes all the difference. You're either defeated or you're one who does the defeating. So we need to learn to be very, very in tune, not only with the Spirit of God, but also in tune with what darkness sounds like. Because if you know what darkness sounds like and its negativity, accusation and blame, you can, you can hit it back quickly. I want to pray uh, for a revelation of our identity in Jesus. And he's given us his holy... I'm, I'm sort of hesitating about what to do, cause, but I think I'm going to... I don't often sing a song for you, but I want to sing a song with you that's just come out and it just captures something that I've been talking about. I've been playing this song for the last few weeks and we're going to introduce it. But I'm just going to play it and sing it and I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute. And I'm going to sing it as a prayer and a declaration. Because these things, you know, you can't force... There's mystery in the Spirit of God. And you can't force it, but you can invite it. And then you can receive it. And the song is, The War is Over. And what it means is, God's kind of saying, stop fighting. There's another song, actually. You know, you're still fighting the battle that's already been won. Live out of victory. Live out of the resurrection of Jesus. Live out of, of that place where, I always tell you this, when I opened my shirt and the Superman was on my chest and God said, you've left, forgotten your identity. I've honestly, that changed my life. That's what I'm talking about. I'd, lived as a, I'd gone back into slavery for eight years. And he said, you've forgotten your identity. And it seems so simple, but in, in 20 seconds, everything changed. And I went, what an idiot. Man, I was ticked off. And also thrilled. And then I had to start walking into my inheritance and I'd pick up my guitar and I'd start playing. And tears would... <laughs> it happens now. I, didn't even, I wasn't rehearsing this. <laughs> but tears would pour down my face and I'd play this, you, O Lord, are a safe place to be. That you would be my father and I would be your son because I couldn't believe it. I had known it for years on one level and lost it completely. And then he came as a savior and said, it's not over yet. I know what I'm talking about. And this sermon is rooted in 20 years of hell and heaven. I'm not talking theory. But I watch again and again people trying to take shortcuts. It's hurting, so I'm going to bail. Well, it's not quick enough. If you want to know freedom, surrender. Just surrender. Stop trying to have your own way. Stop trying to do it on your own terms. And for God's sake, just surrender. Give up. Give up the compromise. Give up the playing games. Give up the judging everybody else and being angry with everybody else because they owe you something. You are owed nothing. Give up. 
And as you give up, he just picks you up. And he says, it's so much easier to work with you when you're in my arms. It's so much easier. Let's ask God to minister to us even through this. Stand up. Give up. Holy Spirit, just... Jesus, you have gone to the cross that we would be free. And what Satan will do right now, he hates these moments, by the way, so he will distract you. So I just speak against that in the name of Jesus. I have absolutely nothing. I'm just the voice. But Father, I pray that as we go through the song, that your spirit would impart to us the hope and the identity of people who are set free. And the rest of our lives is about taking hold of what you have won. We just bless you, Jesus, because none of us are beyond your reach. Nothing I've said today is in any way kept for one person. And if you're still feeling like you're on the outside, well, come on in. Come on in. The war is over. Turn around. Lay your weapons on the ground. The smoke is fading before the light. The dead are coming back to life. War is over. The war is over. Turn around. Lay your weapons on the ground. The smoke is fading before the light. The dead are coming back to life. The dead are coming back to life. The dead are coming back to life. Because He has made a way for us, born for glory out of dust, children held within the arms of peace. And He has made a way for all, mercy waits where sinners fall. Praise God. He is our victory. The war is over. His love has come to call us daughters and sons. No longer orphans without a home. Because we have found where we belong. Let's sing that again with joy. The war is over. His love has come to call us daughters and sons. No longer orphans without a home. And we have found where we belong. He has made a way for us Born for glory out of dust. Children held within the arms of peace. And He has made a way for all. Mercy waits where sinners fall. He is our victory. He is my victory. Say it to yourself. He is my victory. He is my victory. I receive it. He is my hope. He is my life. He is my truth.
It is finished. It is done. The blood of Jesus overcomes. And it is finished. He has won. He has won. And it is finished. It is done. The blood of Jesus overcomes. It is finished. He has won. He has won. And He has made a way for us. Born for glory out of dust. Children held within the arms of peace. And He has made a way for all. Mercy waits where sinners fall. He is our victory. As He has made a way for us. Born for glory out of dust. Children held within the arms of peace. And He has made a way for all. Mercy waits where sinners fall. He is our victory. He is our victory. He is our victory. All lies die at the cross right now. Give him all the old chestnuts that you've lived with for so long. All the accusations, give them to him. They've almost become your friends because you're frightened if you let them go, what happens then? And I speak blessing, Lord, of my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. And I speak release of the full measure of the kingdom of heaven on earth, in this place right now, over everyone who wants it in the name of Jesus. Receive the fullness of His Spirit, His life, the same Spirit that lived in Paul, the same Spirit that He knew in in prison when He said, the war is over. I know what it's like. Nothing can kill me. I am free even though I wear chains. You are free in the name of Jesus. And some parts of that freedom will come like seeds today. They're going to take time to grow. So nurture them. Let them grow. You are free because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because He has made a way for us Born for glory out of dust. Children held within the arms of peace. And He has made a way for all. Mercy waits where sinners fall. He is our victory. If you want to be prayed for, for healing, for victory, as we share in the breaking of bread, you're welcome to go and have that toward the back of the church. If you want to be prayed for for the, a new imparting of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask Michael and Stephen to be up at the front here. And you just, after you've received communion, you just say, I just, want to, I just want you to pray for me so I have a tangible expression of that. Don't worry about what you feel. You're just declaring to God, God, I need all the help I can get. 
And when we come to Jesus, the first thing he does is says, let's have a meal together. And so this meal is a, is, a, is a celebration of God's grace over all of our lives. You don't come to this table because you deserve it. You don't come because you have money. You don't come because you're smart enough. You just come because you were so desperate you needed a Savior and you said yes and he welcomed you home. So as we go through this time, don't talk to one another. Don't distract one another. Just allow God to continue by His Spirit to minister to you the truth. He wants to every single body person here today to leave with the truth established in you in a new way. A promise, an affirmation that absolutely kills dead something you brought in today that was not of Him. About you, about your life, about your present, about your future. So Father, I bless your word and I call those seeds to life. Accelerated like Jack in the beanstalk. Accelerated. 